Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 4th, 2016. I can remember being interviewed in the late 90s and the host asked me if I could leave the people with uh, some optimism. And I said, well, I can't really because I don't see my role in life as being a, a cheerleader for the masses. The problem being, of course, is, is that I've, I know the masses are always used in every era, in every nation too, by those who rule it. And even when there's a changeover of those who rule, they, they still get all used and, and abused as well. And they, they, most of them go to their deaths never knowing it. They think whatever happens in their lives, it just happened out of the blue. Uh, nothing is further from the truth. Everything that happens on any major scale in life is well-planned, well-orchestrated, has to get permission to be introduced and put into society or onto society to change society by those who already own society. And I clued into that a long, 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 long time ago when I was going over the causes of World War One, then World War Two. Now, most of the causes of World War One are only now beginning to be told, the, the actual real causes. During your whole lifetime, I've, I've said this so many times, you're, you're fed constant disinformation your, your entire life long uh, about major things. You get bits of stories. You'll never get the whole story, which might, might not be that long, but it can completely change your view on what has happened or, or is to happen or whatever. A completely different spin or take on any particular subject or topic. Most media simply omits uh, the juicy bits that fills in all the blank bits. And often and it, they present what's left there as the complete story. So people don't think beyond that. Like, I wonder why that's really happening or who benefits or anything like that. That's how the world is really structured and run. And now you take it a system that can literally have different players involved in major events like a war, a world war. We know that the, the, this, these odd organizations based in London primarily, uh, not necessarily of Londoners either, but we know that they, they started up philanthropic organizations. We know they had big ambitions of creating world empires. And they, we know too that they owned newspapers to, to, again, get lots of support for their big ideals. And often they would write many articles, in fact, which would appeal to everybody. It's hard, for instance, to, to not be nice about certain things. How can you not be nice about certain things which you all have in common? So you'd, you'd fall for this and fall for that, but never realizing there was a big organization behind all of this that needed your psychological support because down the road they're going to use you in warfare. Like the, the Lord Alfred Milner group, for instance. 
that had its outer party of round table societies, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation joined them, and the round table societies where they tried to get the educated class, the middle classes, educated classes, on board with them, where they could set up a world empire system using the British empire system of the day and expand that into a world global, a global empire. But they also had their inner party as well, where only the elite members knew each other at the very top. Whenever you get that kind of thing going on, there's something else going on behind it, which really stinks. Secrecy will always stink. If something cannot face the light of day in public scrutiny, then it's nefarious in some way or other. You'll find most of history in the last over 100 years has been like that when it comes to any real truth or bits and pieces of the truth. It is nefarious. There are huge powers at play. You take it, people who claim to be philanthropists and have the best of intentions for humanity, under whatever guise they happen to use at the time, like, oh, bettering people across the world, enlightening those in the darkness, etc., etc., across the planet, it sounds wonderful, but what they're really after is they loot the countries for, for themselves and their own families and their own groups. But they, they told the public they wanted to help the working class and downtrodden people across the world. That's why they used the British Army to go across the planet on their behalf of these private philanthropic organizations and, and subjugate all the people to force them into, into civilization, as they called it and plundered them at the same time. But they used the, 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 the military to do all the dirty work and the heavy work and the taxpayer funded it all. And because they lived in democracy, we had all these choices. And they also made sure that they could cultivate in those they'd leave behind in those countries eventually to emulate the British very, very hush-hush kind of system of ruling the nation and they'd have a, a club, an international club, which would be the beginnings of a world society club, or even a government for that matter. That's what the, the, the Commonwealth of Nations was all about. Lord Alfred Milner coined that term, rather than, call, than keep the old term of the British Dominion across the world. Nothing is ever as it's presented to the public. Now remember, this organisation could and did plan world wars in their own writings. And through all that would transpire in world wars, they would so weaken and terrify the nations that they'd go on their knees and, and they'd say, please take away this burden of being a nation, this nationalism, take it away from us and rule us. And that's what they wished to do. It sounds very simplistic, doesn't it? But these same people had the power to bring on the wars. And they had special divisions of them working through universities and people that were recruited directly from universities into think tanks to work out through all the different statistics, etc., etc., how people could behave if you stimulated them this way or that way or whatever, but also how many males would have to be slaughtered to bring down the population. Now you'll find, if you talk to ministries, every British Commonwealth country has a ministry of everything pretty well, 
run by the government and you have ministries of natural resources and things like that, which also are in charge of wildlife. And occasionally they'll have their own culls of deer, or whatever it happens to be. And they have all this long rigmarole of, is it best to, to kill off the, 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 the buck or the cow? And they go through a whole, again, um, bureaucratic rigmarole of, of how many uh, females a buck could in, inseminate as opposed to the cow and so on. But they, So anyway, they give it the tags every year and they even use their own members in the ministry to do a lot of the cows. Well, that's an old, old idea that existed before World War One or World War Two, And they were using that, of course, for Britain as well. And many other countries got involved in that World War. Cull off a good population, um, in fact, most of the population of one generation of uh, a middle class, the working classes, and bingo, down comes the population very quickly. But also, you have gone, is what the communists knew, uh, those who keep the old system going, the nation itself, the culture, the the history, the all that kind of stuff that makes up the nation, that would be gone as well. Because the first thing that communists did was to slaughter uh, what they called the middle classes. And they boasted about, we have eliminated a class. That was genocide. And they replaced it with another people from different other countries to be the new intelligentsia. When you find big things happening in the world, there are things in common with other big things that are happening in the world, you better believe they are definitely connected. And we know that H.G. Wells, it worked for these international groups because he was a propagandist for them, wrote about the fact that they had not given up their sovereignty after World War I. He says, we need another world war. And he belonged to the Fabian Society, where their job was to pretend they were going to be on the side of the working class. But in reality, if you read their writings, they, they wanted to um, run the world scientifically, including birth rate, uh, or even if you should get born at all. If you lived in a certain part of the country, for instance, and they needed so many minors down the road in 20 or 30 years' time, they might breed some. But if they didn't, then they would simply not allow you to breed. That was the scientific method that became eventually mixed up with technocracy. All, all, it all comes together, all this stuff. It's, it's an old idea, different names, same thing. Same movement, actually. And the big philanthropists, again, that funded it all were the Bill Gates types of their own era. It's, it's odd, isn't it, that suddenly when you, when you become awfully rich and famous... Well, it's by using other folks' patents or inventions or whatever it happens to be and being utterly ruthless to make sure that they can't come back at you and complain about it uh, and you become awfully, awfully well-known, then you can become... You suddenly wake up one morning and say, gee, I'm a philanthropist today. I want to help the poor, especially Haiti, you know. Haiti is a country that they all seem to suddenly want to help. I might touch on some of that today, I don't know. But... They want to do that, and they also want to use science, again, being good technocrats, remember, uh, and transhumanists, because it all ties together, folks. Uh, but they want to use science to, to inoculate everybody against all kinds of things, even bad thoughts, you know, uh, and wicked thoughts, and unapproved thoughts. Uh, eventually you'll get vaccinations for that too. But 
you just wake up one morning after, after slaughtering through the, the business world. And believe you me, the psychopaths are in the business world at the top and get up there. If they're not already part of the CIA structure, most of the big, big corporations in the U.S., are actually fronts run by the same organization this year. Go into the history of it. Go into the history of MI6 in Britain and see the admonitions, factories, and everything for special weaponry, all that kind of stuff. But they also went into electronics big time as well. Everything is interrelated, and everything is different from the way that you've been taught to perceive things, including your cultural changes. But anyway... Yeah, yeah, you just wake up one morning, I want to help people. And it's almost the same way as you want to help, you want to help them get all vaccinated, regardless of whether it works or not, or whether even through the World Health Organization they admit they've been spreading polio across the planet uh, with live vaccines and so on, things like that, and, and causing massive um, paralysis, etc. wherever they go. doesn't matter. See, facts don't matter. Uh, facts don't matter when it comes to the rah-rah cheerleading thing where big smiling faces are on all the posters of happy, happy, healthy people who obviously are from a different country and they're not getting all the jabs that they plan to stick in you or they wouldn't be all smiling and happy. But that's how the world is really run. It's all by perception. It's always, always been perception management. Always. Always, long before the 20th century, 21st century, long before, long before perception management. That's why you get bits and pieces of things, but never the full explanation of anything. Never, never, ever. Remember those at the top, these great philanthropists and so on, that own the countries and run the countries, finances, manufacturing of all kinds, but massive businesses, international loan sharks and all that kind of stuff. They do it all. are also the top philanthropists, you see. As I say, you just get to a certain level of money and bingo, you wake up like that. You, you'd, you'd be the same if you, woke, if you were into that kind of thing. You spend years and years and years sinking countries, helping to finance wars, to take down countries, to grab resources and things, all that kind of thing. But then you just wake up one day when you hit that magic number and, and you, you say, I don't need to do this anymore. I want to help people. And it's always vaccinations, and 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 it's always again work for women across the planet by using by by giving them old used rubbishy computers that maybe don't even work things like that, and and so on and so on it goes because all fronts are other things all fronts. When I was small. They always had wars going on, of course, across the world, because there's always big, big plans for the whole planet by those who own it, really. And they can't give you peace, because if they give you peace, you might start to enjoy life. And if you enjoy life, you might think, well, it's not too bad, let's, let's have rights. And when they try to change something, you dig your heels and you don't like it, because you're quite happy the way things are. So they can't give you peace, keep you always on the edge and keep you worrying about, keep telling you that change is inevitable. And, and it's easy to change. And you go along with it, whether you like it or not. Quite simple. All these ideas are well studied. Well, well studied. And they have courses of them at a very high level, but not for ordinary people at universities. When you look, at, for instance, at um, the little bits they allow you out nowadays, 
to do with, say, World War II. Little bits. They can't tell you everything, all the deceptions they did during World War, as otherwise folk who lost um, relatives and so on might get rather unhappy about it, terribly unhappy, in fact, and want some kind of revenge, or at the very least payback, like financial. So they can never tell you the truth about things. But they can do it after most folk have died off. That's why they have official secret site and certain term limits for, for truth. Uh, it happens. Every country's got it. Same tech, same system. Because whatever you're taught from some government at a very top level is never the truth in your lifetime. It, it can't be given. It cannot be given to you. And when you look at what they did, for instance, during the Cold War and even World War Two before that, from Britain and the U.S. and so on, they had counterintelligence agencies where they implied men and women who were good at lying. They, they had a, an, an innate understanding of natural psychology and human behavior. Uh, they also had the professionals on board with them too, but they, they, in that area, you don't have to be a professional. I think we're all professionals if you think at all. You're a natural professional. And... They knew how to use psychological warfare on, see, the German people, for instance, and then the Japanese people. Today, they actually employ, in the U.S. government and Britain and so on, they actually employ different um, scientists, behaviorists, anthropologists to to do with the cultures of the people you want to invade or take down or whatever and find ways of of taking them down. So you understand their psyche. But uh, during World War Two, they they told the Germans through leaflets and so on that were passed out to Germans out in the front lines uh, that that back home manpower was getting so short that the Hitler had decreed that every German woman that was her sweethearts and fiancés, their wives had to give themselves openly to other men to breed up the population. So they're all busy back home, keeping uh, <clears throat> warm, you might say. And that was to create uh, dissension amongst the ranks. Uh, and they also told them that because of that, they could, if they could leave and go back home for the young guys who were single, they'd have a fantastic time back home. So they're all asking, demanding leave to go back home from the fronts. These, are, these techniques don't end and did not start with wars. You have professional departments working inside the culture industry at all times, creating the culture on behalf of the masters who have big plans for the world, altering everything on behalf of their masters who know where they want to take the planet and where they want to have the public psychologically, you know. They They never want you to be psychologically healthy and they know that when they give you a lot of things, mandate it through law and various other things to be unhealthy, then uh, they've, got, they've got a dysfunctional society. When it's dysfunctional, they can ram changes through very, very quickly because folk can't go stay together. They've all got petty little differences, you see, which are often created by the boys behind the scenes, these differences, and even promoted into youngsters' brains through education and various things like that. Nothing really is as it seems. That's how it really, really works. And I really mean that. (laughs) Massive coordination worldwide. Massive. Above the politicians, obviously. Above them. 
Because it's far more important to have an organisation above politics that's always directing and ensuring that the way ahead to their goals uh, is right on track and that they're on course with it. Now, countless, countless things going on all the time in your lifetime that you're given rather shallow, at the very least minimum explanations for why things happen. But during the Cold War, for instance, they, they make a big deal about of the, the Cambridge spies, the guys who came out of Cambridge in the 19, late, late 20s, early 30s, and went through World War Two, and then were still spies for Russia after that, because of the, the big Marxist push that was getting pushed through. The, now, when you run a country that ran the world at that time, like Britain, not Brit- I hate to use the term Britain, the British folk didn't run a darn thing. Uh, the, the most things that they run for was a bus, you know, if they were lucky to have one in their area. Uh, they were kept on almost almost wartime rations, even when it wasn't war, for, for the working classes. And that's no exaggeration. It was scientifically designed how much money a man should make uh, in a working class family. doesn't matter what kind of work he did, by the way. You find it's, it worked out pretty well the same. And most folk rented their, their accommodations. But, as I say, you, you, you had all this, this spy stuff getting set up, supposedly. And wars to fight. And you find some of the folk that went through, again, the, the Oxford and Cambridge, mainly Cambridge at, this time, at that particular time, uh, became spies. from the, And they were, they were from the aristocracy, a lot of them, or at least the very upward mobile middle classes at the top. And to, to this day, a lot of folk are confused as to why they did it all. There's turned out countless books on it, countless uh, documentaries on it, some movies on it and so on. They definitely had homosexual elements in it to do with the fact that they could recruit other people of the same persuasion in other countries. That was the idea. Uh, but apart from that, and big drug taking and, and drinking and all the rest of it, all of that kind of stuff. But think about it. Here are people from a higher class of Britain, guaranteed positions all through government and to aristocracy even. And in fact, I think one or two of them were knighted. And, and yet, supposedly, supposedly, they stuck to, the, the, to being secret agents for most of their adult lives. Because what? Because they've been radicalized when they're university. Who radicalized them? Well, you find, uh, here again is this powerful nation, Britain, with its own secret intelligence service made up of the aristocracy at that time. And yet they allowed in these people who became professors at their top Ivy League universities from other countries of Europe to preach and teach Marxism. The overthrow of all established governments, elimination of all monarchies and so on, uh, and they allowed that to happen in a country like Britain that still has a monarchy even today. And they were just allowed to do it. 
Do you really believe that rubbish? Do you really believe that rubbish? There's more to it, obviously, than that. Because any rational country, if it was all as they put it across to be, uh, you could not allow people to radicalize students, especially uh, at that level, uh, who advocated the overthrow of your established order. It would not be allowed. It isn't today. But it was allowed back then. Why? What's going on here? What big game's afoot? Huh? What big game is it? Because it's definitely a big game. And what you're getting told doesn't make any sense. When something doesn't make sense, there's obviously another part of the story will never be told. But do you really believe that these characters, from some of the so-called best families, wealthy families too, really just care so much about the working people across the world, that they're going to sell out their own country, including the working folk, and to, to another country that was going to eradicate millions of them, like it had already done in the Soviet Union. They were going to do it all because they liked the working man. Now, even, even if you stretch it and say, okay, Britain was bad at that time, with as fascistic as the term as it goes, and there was a ruling class that gouged the public and treated them like cattle, which was awfully true. They did not believe in upward mobility from the working classes back then. And they already had the same corrupt system they still have today, but it's meant to be this way, that's why they always say it, where the big bankers can plunder you at least twice a century. The money disappears, we're told, to money heaven. And those guys that are closer to God than other folks have the keys, obviously. It doesn't just disappear. But it's done over and over again, and whoever pretended laws they bring in to help reduce it happening are nonsense. It's a joke. But anyway, uh, so here you have Britain, Britain, these guys that, that did what? Sold out their country. Each time the groups, and there's always genuine groups, say name I6 or whatever it happens to be at the time, the SOE and different things, they sent out real operatives uh, to, to infiltrate all those countries. Uh, and, and, uh, and here's people like Kim Philby uh, telling them where they're going to arrive, and land and so on, and they were executed. Without, this is a guy without a conscience, but he cares about the working man. Who's kidding who? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, then there's something else behind it all, obviously. Obviously. And the very fact that they pretty well all got away with it, and other ones were eventually pardoned and so on, it tells me something really stinks with the whole darn story. Some really stinks. I've always said the Cold War was a bit of a farce to begin with. It was fantastic for, like all wars are, cold or hot, for the manufacturers of the high-tech weapons industries, etc. Tremendously lucrative, indeed. And during war, as Professor Carl Quigley said, who was the historian for the American branch of the Royal Institute of International Affairs Club, then you find that... uh, you can get more done in five years of war than 50 years of peace because you do what you're told during war. 
the government will slap on so many restrictions and everything, and you won't say boo because you're, you think we're fighting for our lives. You see, quite simple. But they never stop the day. That's why they love crisis and 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 now we've got war against uh, incoming uh, meteorites. Uh, we've got war against the, the weather going to turn us all and kill us all. And, uh, yada 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 yada. But we're always the problem. It's always us. It's a problem, no matter what it happens to be. In fact, if we really change it a little bit and, and say we're going to change it all for incoming meteorites to save us, they'll claim that we are causing them to come in. But we've got some kind of strange magnetites inside of us that attract outer space meteorites to come into the planet. So we've got to pay up mightily so the governments can save you from it all. That's how it goes. Everything's a racket. And it's always a group, a big group, makes a lot of money off it. But there's also a lot of dedicated, fanatical, mad, quite mad, foot soldiers who will back them up. They don't, they, they're so mad, they don't, they don't want to know the truth. They're just, they want to believe it's all true. They want to really, really believe it's all true. Yep, they really are magnetites. Uh, and, uh, and you humans, are, are, you know, we've got an awful lot of them. And we're bringing in all these foreign, foreign meteorites that would happily wander throughout the universe, but they're getting attracted to us because we're magnetic to them. Now you try and argue with these folk, and they'll lynch you. Because it's easy to create fanatics of folk that are on the, on the, on the border edge anyway of sanity. And every generation you got them. And the big boys at the top know this, and they know how to create them, and how to select them, and how to use them. And you've got armies of them today in all areas of what's called dysfunction, where you create dysfunction through all of society. And with dysfunction, you have dissatisfaction. And with all of that, you have retaliation. And so on. The Hegelian process is really working very, very well. Now, sometimes, not very often, you get a deeper insight into how these agencies work on behalf of governments. And Sometimes, very, very incredibly rarely, you'll find someone will give, give more out in a very clever fashion, often through fiction, uh, as an analogy or uh, analogous to, to what's really happening, how things really do work. And we all know about George Orwell's writings. And he has fiction and, and non-fiction there, of course. How else could a guy let things be known to the general public without committing treason. He, remember, had been radicalized, you might say. Well, he was at university. He came from a family that were traditionally bureaucrats or uh, at that level for the British government and for the British Empire. We know that Animal Farm gave a an awfully good insight into the system, including the system of how you can be led up the garden path by falling into being a, one of the masses for revolutionary purposes, used by a different group for their own purposes without you ever coming to that conclusion yourself. Awfully good it is. And if you were to take, for instance, the farmers as being the existing ruling class 
of the monarchy and our aristocracy. Then the pigs are the ones who come in with expertise to the country, in a sense, and teach you communism and your rights, and, and they get you to revolt and take over. Then this, this group puts itself in charge of you, then, as intelligentsia. And at the very end of it all, uh, you, they look, the animals look through the window pane of the old farmhouse, and there's the farmers making deals and having a, a booze up and a great meal with the pigs. Uh, that was showing you a system of the creation of revolutions where the animals, the general population, must believe it's all real in order to be used, but never knowing the real purposes behind it, believing intently to their, to their deaths, literally many of them, uh, that what they're fighting for is all real, and it's for themselves. And for all, and for each other, you see, they think that's what you really believe when you're when you're getting news like that. You must really truly believe in it all. Now we're, we're talking about the folk who create world wars, doing that. Whole nations, whole nations are taught to send their sons off to get slaughtered, which they did in World War One and Two. And it was to change the whole of society intentionally because then you would get the women uh, back home into the workforce. Again, the communists dreamed of that. They wrote books about it and, and, and so on. Uh, and to get them out of the routine of getting married and having children. Destruction of the family unit, the state becomes God, and they do what they're told. And you've you got a cheap uh, working force then uh, in, in all the factories as well. Uh, it's, it's all working together like that, isn't it? You can understand the perfection of it all. And I'm talking about the perfection that most folk never figure it out. Never, ever figure it out. That they've been used from the beginning to the end. Never, they never know it. So you have a system which has trained the public. I'm talking about now and, and back then. The, the system they present themselves to be is all genuinely real as it is presented to you. And that they'd never do anything nefarious to the general population that they're there to protect. That's how it's presented to you. Meanwhile, just like today, those at the very top are, are lucky to even, or they'd probably say unlucky if they've actually met a working person in reality. They don't mix with you. They don't know what you think or anything else or care to know. That's just the way it really is. Today, we get the, the new philanthropists, all front men, by the way. You know, they're all classified as geniuses. Nonsense, not rubbish. They're front folk for bigger organizations that do all that stuff. And they're philanthropists. And because they're philanthropists, they, they want to help the world. You have the George Soros creating and fomenting revolutions across the planet and getting away with it. What does that tell you? What does it tell you? He's part of an organization based inside the U.S. You might call it the CIA. You can call it whatever you want. Because most of the organizations that are there working on your behalf are not really there uh, caring much about you at all, to be honest with you. The, the U.S. CIA were the ones who recruited all the different guys for the culture industry. They created the culture industry uh, for the whole of post-World War II, Europe and America. They wrote books about it. 
And it's so odd that their culture and industry was also to destroy the family unit and so all the things that made you functional. And it looked awful like the communist system too, when you look at it's not rather coincidental. Now, getting back to George Orwell, he talked about his life during World War II as a propagandist for the British government. And how his job at one point, and it was a pretty high-level job, it wasn't just bringing in occasional people to discuss uh, new ways of cooking condemned meat, if you had any meat at all, because that's really what it was. It was all stuff that wasn't fit for human consumption, but his job was to get folk to convince the public, because it does wonders, you know, convincing folk, uh, that this is healthier for you, and it's going to do you, and they get all the experts to tell you, prattle off all the different minerals, and just like you do when they're selling stuff today, and and how, how wonderful this is, and it'll make you live forever. You're healthier than you've ever been before. It's, and all the cases of malnutrition you saw around you were carefully by government decree, kept away into special hospitals across the nation uh, for rickets, etc., and all the things that children were getting because of malnourishment. That was, wasn't talked about at all. You'd never eaten as well as you were during World War II and extreme rationing. And that was one of Orwell's jobs. But he had a big job in coordinating people across the world in what was still the British Empire. Uh, all the way into India uh, for propaganda purposes. So he knew his job awfully, awfully well. He knew about, for instance, the big agenda to depopulate a good part of Europe. Because he had been under, as a student, under the tutelage of, um, or the tutorialship of, Aldous Huxley for a period. Also his brother, um, Julian Huxley, they all knew each other, these people. And Julian Huxley was up at UNESCO eventually, which became UNESCo for Planned Parenthood, depopulate Europe, etc. All of those kind of things. They all knew each other. And they all worked for the upper class. There's far more true all than, than has ever been obviously admitted from the top. What we're given for history is very simplistic. Here's the bad guys. We fought against them. We, we, we lost X amount of people, and they lost X amount of people. And uh, that's, how it's, that's, that's how it's presented to us. The preparation for war, even to get a war started, it takes forever. It's, it's a long, long process. But we're all taught that things were just spontaneous. Just like that. Just like that. It's like the U.S. with its nonsense of the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. For years, the U.S. had been trying to corral into a small area, Japan, because the U.S. magnets, those who really control and own the U.S. inside, buying up all the raw resources across the Pacific back then, too. And they were determined not to let Japan get anything out of it. And Japan did what they knew they'd do, <laughs> they retaliated and, uh, and attacked. If they were getting blocked out of places, they'd simply attack, and that's what they did. And everybody knew it was coming in the high levels of the U.S. intelligence services. In fact, it was meant to happen. 
And so, you know, nothing really happens to say spontaneously. It doesn't happen in the big, big picture at all. Government has always been in charge. I'm talking about real government, not what you vote in or you think you vote in. It's always been in charge uh, on a very high level. And, uh, and, and anyone who, be- who believes in politics too, that they're really so important that, uh, they, uh, that they can change the world for the better, uh, they, get, they get reminded that they're not the bosses. Generally, not fatally. Uh, like Reagan got, he got a reminder that he wasn't the boss. And things go ahead smoothly afterwards, and the big boys at the top are obviously quite happy. If you were to look at all the things that have happened, the major things that have happened in your lifetime, and You've got an understanding of the articles that were written about all the things that were supposedly happening in your lifetime. Which are really articles about telling you what you should be thinking about. That's really what it is, you see, because all news is politicized. And the greatest display of this happened recently with the Trump and, and Clinton elections on the go in the States, where the media came out so openly, completely biased, uh, it's, uh, it's supposedly unbiased media is completely biased. I mean, completely biased. And people will forget that right away. They're back into what the news is saying. The news, If it's completely politicized, you aren't going to get any factual, here's the facts news. It's not going to happen. But it's never really happened in your lifetime, to be honest. Look at all the crisis. You know, the Vietnam era and the wars there. And before that, they had the Korean War on the go. And the big threat was communism, communism and, and the Soviet system and overthrows and the Cold War and all that kind of thing. And on and on it goes. And meanwhile, the wars were happening back home. The real war of the destruction of the family unit by design, by your own agencies, as I say. Britain was exactly the same. And with, with the pretense that garage bans Guys priced in their garages. Most folk in Britain didn't have a garage because most of them, when I grew up, didn't have a car. But this is the rubbish they fed the public as they presented these guys shuffling around on stage, miming to something, because none could play live as the, the new phenomena. Your whole life has been a, a, a run by tricksters, including the cultural takedown of society. As you were told, to, oh yeah, this, yeah, the Soviets were going to take you over completely and be marching up and down the country and all that, that stuff. Believe you me, the, the longer you live, if you live long enough, you, you'll see all of this. And it, it doesn't stop the, the, the present lies coming out for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. Constant, constant nonsense. So you've gone through... Or you're going, to get, you're going to get taken over by the Russians, the Soviet system. Or we're all going to get dire plagues, which all the usual stuff, which they always bring out every few years. Oh, dire plagues, die this, die that. All the threats and fears and so on. The real uh, crisis of economic depressions, which they bring on when they decide it's time to do it and plunder you. Uh, which again brings on changes because they then blow off the dust off the old treaties they've got to amalgamate countries with other countries even more so 
and, and then you end up with the EU system, the, the biggest mafia-run system on the planet. And it's not Italian-run, for that matter. But uh, we're always living through big agendas, way above the governmental level that you know of and most politicians know of. Politicians get up there because they, they've gone, they've played the game. They've been well sussed out from the beginning when they volunteer for charity work. That's how they get into these little things. And they know not to ask questions. If they've a good mentor, don't ask questions. And that's how you get up the ladder. And you're dependable. You don't ask questions. You just do what you're told, and, and that's it. And that's how the whole system is run, because way above it all is another system entirely that really does run it and plans the future. You think about all the things that have happened, big, big wars, the creation of famines across the world, the testing of bacteria for plagues, all, all, the, all these things. And you've had world wars and all the other ones which are not classified as war. They were called policing actions. They didn't like to use the term wars anymore. It sounds better. Oh, I haven't had wars for years. Meanwhile, you're all over the world having policing our actions where you send soldiers dressed as soldiers with weapons and grenades and everything else. Uh, Evans perception management again. But you go from all of that, all of that, and all the way along as as you amalgamate your nations, they keep telling you you're getting freer and freer as you're actually getting poorer and poorer uh, as they pull all your resources together for the big boys to plunder. They keep telling you getting freer. And meanwhile, under the guise of terrorism everywhere, then they're taking all your rights away from you. And everything you say or almost what you think is being monitored by Big Brother on a world basis. And we're accepting it all under the guise of, oh, it's, you know, it's to save us. They have to, they have to take our rights away to save us. And believe you me, if you have no rights, then nothing's going to save you. So we're constantly played with on a massive scale. Mind you, we've got so much entertainment based around the most basic things, obviously. It's always sex, 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 sex. And when everything else fails, too, when there's nothing else to distract you, to give you what's put across there to you as something you should all be concerned with. Again, and it's always based on what? Sex, 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 sex. Do you understand you've been played with mightily? Mightily. From world wars to the Cold War, which was a world war, and so on and so on, all the way down to what's the news today as we get our rights taken from us to keep us safe? What is the main news? And here's an example of it, what I'm talking about here. Do you really believe this is news? You've got, this is Canada. Lesbian professor slams colleague, and the colleague is the is the man I've mentioned before, a, a University of Toronto professor. And it says for resisting transgender speech, she doesn't want to use it, getting told what to use. But her own classes were filled with hate speech. This is like something a massive soap opera, isn't it? Uh, and it says uh, November twenty eighth, two thousand sixteen. It says a lesbian academic who accused Toronto free speech advocate Jordan Peterson of hate speech. And you think about it, would you ever have read this 20 years ago? The lesbian academic who accused Toronto free speech advocate. So being a free speech advocate today is, is, going, is, is, is bad. 
So she accused uh, Jordan Peterson of hate speech. So having free speech is called hate speech now. Bear, listen to what I'm saying here. Because as you're put through this mishmash, this, this, this uh, maze of bending thought, all this stuff is going somewhere by very bright folk way above all of this stuff that we're talking about. So taught a course full, so she taught the lesbian woman, I guess, full of Miss, Miss Andre. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't banned that. Who is Miss Andre, right? <laughs> Joking. Or hatred of men, according to her former student. The student who took a fourth year course at the University of British Columbia from Mary K. Bryson in 1991 told National Post columnist Christy Blatchford she'd taken other women's studies courses but never been in a class where Miss Andre was taught to you. Well, I'll tell you one thing, it's taught big time in the U.S. universities. It has been for years. Anyway, Bryson, a senior associate dean and professor of education at the University of British Columbia, was one of two people brought in for a forum this month at the University of Toronto to challenge. So here's what they do now. They, cha- they bring them in to challenge someone's opinion. It's to challenge psychology professor Jordan Peterson's claims that federal and provincial human rights legislation and University of Toronto anti-discrimination measures were dangerous attacks on free speech. Can you believe this? Everyone's getting bent upside down and so on and so on. But that's the intention of it all. The other opponent to Peterson's actions confined herself to trying to prove that Bill C-16, which would protect transgender and gender-fluid persons... I, I, can you live long enough to keep learning all this stuff? It's, it's really important to learn all this stuff. You know? From hate speech was a reasonable measure. But Bryson engaged in an ad hominem attacks on Peterson for using his privileged position to attack the precarious minority of transgender and gender-fluid persons. Why does the majority have to alter everything, even the way it speaks or even talks or thinks? Because of a tiny minority. And the government's making you do it. Isn't there something else at play here? Of course there is. Anyway, says, he did this, she said, with assertions that had never been submitted to the scrutiny of peer-reviewed journals and was therefore in total dereliction of his academic duty. Now listen to this. But as a reporter, Christine Blatchford revealed, in a front-page column on Friday's National Post, Bryson now stands accused of bullying heterosexual and bisexual students in a 1991 course called From the Margins, Lesbian Subjects Matter. So this this female uh, professor, I guess, or teacher, is accused of this now. The one who's doing the accusing is actually accused of it now herself. The student, reports Blatchford, claimed that Bryson forced his students to declare their sexual orientations liked to spring violent pornography on them and taught them that all sex with men is inherently violent. And it isn't, you're, you're looking at a politicized agenda, and it's only one tiny little part of it, with the radicalization of various aspects of society and put them into professorial jobs. All, all the days from the early Marxist professors have flooded into Europe and elsewhere in the early 20th century. Um, this is just a continuation of the same thing they get, leaves everybody scratching their heads. Really. But it's a big agenda. All sex with men is inherently violent. You see? 
Bryson, uh, through her lawyer, has denied she forced her students, who were all female, to reveal their sexual orientation, or that she taught all sex with men was violent. That's an old, old thing they've been saying. The emotions are violent by, by looking at them. They're mo- that's what they claim. So. She admitted that one guest presenter did drop her pants. Can you believe this is, this is, what this is all to do with what you can say and you can't say anymore, or, or think about, or, or not even not want to think about, it's going to get forced down you anyway. She meant that one of her guest presenter, I guess from one of her she did drop her pants to reveal a strap-on dildo. This is, this is university. But insisted this was done without her complicity, and that moreover, she intervened as quickly as possible to stop the demonstration. Another presentation featured a movie showing women fisting each other anally, which Bryson also admits, while insisting the filmed activity was consensual and the film was a work of art and not exploitation. I guess there's lots of folk who make a complete ass of themselves. The complaining student who contacted Blatchford after the columnist wrote about Pearson's debate with Bryson graduated from University of British Columbia with a master's in religious studies. Imagine to get into all that going into religious studies, see? Eh? She says Bryson and her co-teacher Suzanne de Castell mocked those of us who liked men who, or who had intimate relations with men and for shaving their legs or wearing skirts. So if you try to act like what often is appealing to men, you know, uh, they'd mock you. They'd mock you. Imagine, she told Blatchford, a male professor forcing female students, if you can imagine this, you know, there we round, to watch violent pornography or inviting a male guest speaker to drop his pants and expose himself to students or telling students how to dress for his class and forcing them to publicly announce their grooming habits and their sexual orientation. Well, it's different... Uh, Different uh, strokes for different folks, as they say, and it's not always good for the gander, and etc., etc. While Bryson, via her lawyer, denies all coercive activities, her own description of the course, and in an essay she wrote with uh, De Castell in 1993, reveals a thorough enough knowledge of the distribution of sexual preferences amongst her 15 students for her to make value-laden judgments of how the three different preferences, hetero, homo, and bisexual, affected class performance. What are they teaching? You understand, you're looking at people who are dying to get into universities and who can't afford it from working class people. Uh, and never mind, pay for board and everything else on top of all of that. This, you just can't do it. And meanwhile, this is what they're doing with, with academic time, is teaching this kind of stuff for... See, the war that started a long time ago is still on the go. It's still on the big time, big time now. Yep. It says the heterosexual students, it was clearly the instructors viewed, just didn't get it. Only the students whose lives were constructed within oppression. So, so you got to be, in, see, you got to be, be, everybody's vying now for to be the most oppressed. Victimhood is a big, big part of today's society and academia, apparently. So, you have to be there, as I say, to, to, to know how bad it really is. So this, the heterosexual students just didn't get it. Only the students whose lives were constructed within oppression could effectively engage in the work we had prescribed for our course. The heterosexuals, in other words, treat lesbianism as an academic subject. 
while the lesbian and bisexual students treated as a chance to team up for class projects and after-class social alliances. Mm -hmm. Students were subject to a parade of presenters from Vancouver's dense LGBT culture and assigned activities such as using the popular game show Jeopardy as a model for a pseudo-positivistic, overtly ironic game of facts we know about lesbians. Students had to use another show, The Dating Game, as a framework to parody the standard women's studies survey course on lesbians through history by imagining a date between lesbians of different eras. Anyway, as I'm getting back to what I'm trying to talk about tonight, the war is always going on, and most of the public are utterly ignorant of what the war even is. Much, much higher minds decide everything that goes on in the world. So why is everything geared at, at trying to make folk, just the general public, grit their teeth all the time? Why is that? It's done on purpose, obviously. And then it obviously is meant to coincide with this article, uh, Breaking Ontario, Canada, unanimously passes radical LGBT bill redefining parent-child relationship. I thought they already had all that stuff. And it says, uh, Bill 28, which redefines the family to appease LGBTQ activists, was passed unanimously in the Ontario legislature Tuesday by 79 MPPs from all three parties with 28 members of Parliament absent for the vote. And it says, according to the Campaign Life Coalition, progressive Conservative leader Patrick Brown pressurises MPPs to either vote for the bill or absent themselves. The pro-family groups have criticised the Liberal government for ramming through the controversial All Families Are Equal Act. It completely turns on its head the former understanding of family, which consisted of individuals united by marriage, blood and adoption. Noted Gwen Landolt of Real Women in October 16 critique, the All Families Are Equal Act legally redefines mother and father as parent to accommodate homosexual couples who conceive children through reproductive means. It gets rid of mother and father in family law, mum entirely, to allow for a purely contractual relationship between up to four adult parents and the children that are legally identified as theirs, noted Dr. Scott Masson in an analysis of the bill. Now remember what I mentioned about technocracy. They were to recreate everything in society, in life, in human relationships, even to what a human is that's all transhumanism, folks, and this is all part of it, too. Getting you all used to the idea that nothing is standard, nothing is normal of any kind in human affairs, relationships, or anything else, and you're getting prepared step by step for all that is to come. It's all part of the way it is done because your whole life you're being trained by powers you don't even know exist and for ob- objects which you don't even know exist either, even though you, even when you're living through them. Well, really, I could go on and on and on, and I'll, I might continue this next week, I don't know. But uh, from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's school with you.